From the Geo Professional Business Association, this is COVID Concerns, a podcast dedicated to providing GBA members and friends timely industry advice and best practices from your peers in the geo professional industry. Things are changing quickly as we all learn more about the virus and its impacts to our industry. With that in mind, remember what you hear on our podcast is the opinion of the speaker and is not intended to be advice. Please do your own follow-up research and make sure to check our show notes for links, clarifications, and additional information. This is episode three and has been sponsored by the Geo Professional Business Association. This episode was recorded on April 17th and includes audio from a town hall meeting that GBA organized and hosted. We hope you appreciate the valuable information that these speakers are about to share. All right, let's get started. Good morning, everybody. Hope everyone is well. I'm Joel Carson, the Executive Director of GBA. And again, as I have been talking to member firms uh, across from coast to coast in North America um, over these past few weeks, I've heard a lot about the challenges that we're all having in response to COVID-19 and the financial impacts that it's having to our businesses. And and many of us have the same challenges, but uh, we all don't have the solutions to those challenges that we're facing. And it's very dynamic. I mean, things are changing weekly and sometimes it's daily. And um, the reason that GBA is hosting this call is because as an organization, we often collaborate when there's common issues and we rally together under crisis. And it was out of this effort that the GBA town hall meeting uh, was born. And the focus of today's town hall meeting, which we've already held a couple, today's focus is on leadership, strategy, uh, employment engagement, and in a minute, I'm going to introduce our all-star panel for the discussion today. So without further delay, I'd like to introduce our esteemed panelists today. Uh, John Doring, uh, he's an author, speaker, consultant, and founder of Jay Doring Company. He's calling from the Boston area. Good morning, John. Hi, everyone. Another Bostonian, uh, Bob Kelleher. Uh, another longtime friend of GBA, author, speaker, and founder of the Employees Engagement Group. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Joel. And Jerry Salantai, GBA member at also and CEO at the Salantai Consulting Group. Uh, he's calling in from uh, the Tahoe area of California today. Good morning, Jerry. Good morning, Joel. Excellent. So in our two previous uh, town hall meetings, uh, leaders emphasized, I'm gonna start with questions uh, without further ado. Um, in our previous town hall meetings, the leaders that we had uh, acting on our panel emphasized the importance of communication, communication during crisis from a business operations standpoint and from a health and self safety standpoint. So Bob, I'll start with you. Um, what are communication best practices that we can all use uh, both during and post pandemic? 
Yeah, um, thank you, Joel. Um, first of all, let me thank Joel as well as GBA for, for inviting me to participate uh, and it's an honor to be here and certainly an honor to participate with both uh, John and Jerry, uh, uh, two, uh, two people that are dear friends as well as colleagues. You know, I think communication, there's no such thing as over communicating during these times. You know, we're seeing this even, uh, you know, at home in the nightly debriefs um, from the coronavirus task team, you know, whether you are a Republican or a Democrat, right? You know, the need to stay current and see what's going on um, is no different than in the workplace. Your, your employees have this need, this hunger to know what's going on in real time. And, and I don't think we as leaders can communicate to our employees enough. Joel, I ran a, um, I ran a, a poll a couple of weeks back for this industry in which we had 250 companies on. And I was pleased to see that 40% of respondents were communicating every day to their employees. And I, I actually thought that was terrific. And we did another poll outside this industry and it was slightly lower. So the A&E industry, I, I view as being best in class right now and staying front and center, transparent communi communication with your employees and don't think for a moment that you're over communicating. They have, they have a hunger for what's going on, what's going on with the health, health of our employees and that's first and foremost, the health of our families. What are we doing to ensure the safety of our employees? How is business being impacted, right? You know, just think of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You know, we have these, um, you know, basic philosophical um, basic needs of shelter and air and water and, and health and safety and financial security, all at that baseline. And your employees are hungry for communication. So frequent, transparent, cascading communication is what I would strongly suggest. Mm. Awesome. Jerry, how can you add to Bob's response about best practices for communication during and, and after the pandemic? Well, first, thanks uh, for having me. Uh, as Bob said, Joel, and it's great to be with, uh, with John and, and, and Bob on this uh, pop-up pop uh, WebEx, uh, so to speak. I told my wife I'm doing a pop-up and she says, you're going to dinner without me? <laughs> That's a nomenclature you usually hear it at. I think Bob's covered it all. I found, in fact, I was just on with a, with a uh, CEO and chairman of another firm this morning, and CEO's doing a great job. It's a, actually a non-GBA member, but it's, uh, you know, same tactics. Daily emails, snippets on just something, uh, you know, dosed with a lot of optimism and positives, uh, does a weekly video with the entire staff, and you know, you just can't over communicate. I think to add to that, two pieces. One is transparency is critical right now. You know, candid openness, don't sugarcoat. This is not a time to sugarcoat that, yeah, yeah, life is good and everything's good and no one's going to get laid off and all this when it isn't, isn't a fact in your firm, uh, you know, whether it is or isn't. You got to be transparent. You got to be candid with your people. And so you want to have a balance of, that with that transparency, if there's some things that are that are that could be done better, I think uh, communicating that or making that a part of your communication is, is is critical. Then the second thing is the clients. I mean, um, encourage people and yourself if you're engaged with client activities and communicating with your clients. 
and this and, and not calling and saying, hey, um, my billable works down and I need a contract to have any work for me, but call them and talk to them about their challenges and their problems and the issues that they're facing and show that empathy to the clients because actually it will then pay off and work if you take that kind of an approach. But uh, so just adding to Bob's, make sure it's transparent, honest, integrity, and, uh, and extend that to the outside. Uh, and lastly, I just thought of this as with some peers, peer companies, you know, don't hesitate to pick up the phone and check in and, and check in with peer groups and see how they might be doing the same as you would with clients. Yeah, that's a great point. There's a lot of leaders from GBA member firms on this call. And uh, that's one of the, the uh, part of our special sauce is the trust that we have with each other and the ability to just pick up the phone and, and chat with a, a fellow leader from GBA. And, uh, and we solve problems together. That's, that's what we do as GBA. And that's why we're all on this call to, together today. So John, how about from communication from your experiences? Do you have anything to add to uh, Bob and Jerry's comments? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, well, thanks for having me, Joel. And hello to everyone. I see so many familiar faces there. I'm kind of smiling about that. That's, it's kind of cool to, to be here with the family. Uh, these guys have covered the really important stuff. A couple of things that popped into my mind that I would add to that is um, beyond the just sort of all hands on deck call. You know, I think, although it's not quite as efficient, having small group discussions, one person, two people, three people, like you would have in the hallway uh, originally. You don't sort of have everybody in the conference room for all the time, right? And there's some downside that comes with the kind of the whole company is on the call because that seems formal and important and, you know, hefty. So I think some more informal. Another thing that I would suggest very tactical uh, when you schedule these Zoom meetings, schedule them not for an hour, which is the default on the machinery. Schedule them for 45 minutes. Um, if you are, if you, you probably, some of you are probably live in this world where you have Zoom calls, eight o'clock, nine o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, all day. If they're all scheduled for an hour and they all go five minutes over, as one executive said to me, my strategic question of the day is, when do I get to pee? <laughs> Uh, so uh, have the meetings, but make them short, you know, and give people a little bit of time to sort of regroup and, 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 and think about that. And, and then I would just pile on with what these guys have said. Look, at the end of the day, being an effective communicator is right at the core definition of leadership. So, you know, put, put the time and effort into it. It's really paying off. Yeah. So Jerry, uh, most of our members have strategic plans for their firms, but nobody has anticipated this black swan event. Uh, from your experience, are strategic plans GBM members have prepared recently still applicable or should we wad them up and throw them in the trash can and start over again? Hmm. Um, throw them away, no, not really. Uh, this does fit Talib's uh, definition of black swan. And there's, it's kind of a yes and no answer. First of all, you got to step back and say, strat, you know, strategic plans are three to five year journeys. And to say, even though this is a horrific event, to throw that out would, uh, I think, be doing a real disservice. You, you know, you got to try to stay the course. 
Uh, I'm going to break it into two parts. You likely, in a good balanced strategic plan, have some internal initiatives, and those internal initiatives are pretty much going to stay in place. Um, I would say that most plans that I've seen in the last three or four years, and I, I glanced through a few, um, you know, 90% of internal strategic uh, objectives or goals uh, would remain in place. You might have to change the timing or the the flow of those, but they're pretty much in place. And then when you look at your external uh, objectives or goals, um, you, you find that, you know, there are certain things out there that are not going to change. Uh, climate change is going to continue to occur. There are contaminated sites in this country that are need to be cleaned up. There's a dire need for the repair of infrastructure. And so when you look at your external what I would call growth initiatives, they're usually centered around a market segment or and, and energy needs is another one. But you just go down the list and they're still gonna be there. And so what I would suggest is not so much, absolutely you do not throw it out. That was a joke in the beginning. You do not throw out your plan. Uh, I would say it is healthy on an annual basis anyway to look at these objectives and goals and to see what adjustments need to be made and see if new opportunities uh, have filtered in. And so I would say that it is a good time, uh, perhaps in the next six months as the smoke starts to clear, to pull those out and to really do a gut check on those and to see what needs to be modified as far as timing or the goal itself. Maybe one goal gets put on uh, delay mode and, and, and you slow that down and another one rises to the top because this crisis has created a bigger opportunity. I don't want to get into the growth opportunities. I know you're going to talk to us all about that and I've got a lot of ideas along those lines, but just to talking about the plan itself, I would say you don't throw it out. Most of your internal uh, goals and objectives will probably remain about the same, if not the same. Your external growth and uh, objectives and goals may need to be modified. This is a good time to step back and look at those. But the reality is, the, in fact, there's a McKinsey report that uh, just came out where they looked at nine, did some scenario plan. They did nine scenarios and they're predicting that one of four will return and all four of them are growth, are growth uh, over, the, over the long haul. One of them is the the V, the V or the U-shaped uh, recovery, but the fundamentals are there in this country. And so I would say that most of even your growth initiatives externally are going to be, uh, remain in place, maybe just modified or their schedule modified. Great. John, what's your assessment of strategic objectives? Um, are they still in play? Um, yeah, well, I think Jerry's hitting on some really important points. The, the, the mantra that I live by, Dwight Eisenhower once said, plans are nothing and planning is everything. Um, you know, the plan itself is just a moment in time. So, of course, we're going to have to adjust it. But I think this is a very profound question. Because what we see all the time, when, when, when circumstances change the context that we're in, there is, for some reason, this instinct is to throw it out, to set it aside, to say that doesn't work anymore. You guys obviously don't know what you're doing because none of it makes any sense. And that, I think it's dead wrong. 
And not only that, I think if you look back to the recession, 2008, 2009, 2010, it is the fundamental mistake that almost all firms in the industry made. You, you have to hunker down. There is a crisis moment. There is a triage thing that you have to go through, right? And I, I like to say you can't sell life insurance in a MASH hospital. Nobody is interested in talking about the long term, right, at that moment, right? But it is a huge mistake to then go into, let's just hold our breath until this is all over. Because what we find all the time, right, is that firms did that for three years right. or five years in some cases. So you really have to be able to live in both worlds. So I like the way you, you sort of tore it into sort of internal versus external. The way I kind of think about it, Jerry, is the things that don't change are the things down at the core. My values, my mission, why I'm here. And my vision is my big dream. This is what we want to do together, right? This is what makes sense to us. That stuff shouldn't change, particularly for something that's likely to last a finite period of time. But on the other hand, to not change strategies and action agenda and goals and things like that would be ridiculous. So I think to be able to step back and say, okay, as you did, Jerry, right? This one makes sense. That one doesn't. Let's shift the balance here. So you got to start to live in both places. And I think that to connect back to the communication question, Joel, one of the things we should be, I think, telling our teams right now is we're not giving up on the dream. I think wow. it, it's okay to say, too, I'm not exactly sure what that means. <laughs> you know, the cheese has gotten moved around a little bit here, and so I can't see the pathway from A to B like maybe I did a few months ago, but I'm not giving up on it yet. I'm not going to let that go. And I think it's important to let people – know that we're still committed to making the important stuff happen. Yeah, that ties in really nicely with the previous comment about transparency is it's okay to say I don't know, um, but I'm not giving up on the dream. That's powerful. If I, Joel, if I could add one thing to, you know, the ENR study that Rod Hoffman and I did, that's, you hit on a good point, John, that, that we found that the firms that did better after the recession were the ones that stayed the course in leadership development and succession and ownership transfer and and strategic planning and executing on strategic plans it's it's key to not throw it out mm, yeah however you need to relook at it because there's a lot more opportunities tomorrow than there were yesterday i i believe so Bob, I'll throw it to you too. You helped GBA prepare our last strategic plan about three years ago. And so uh, you've got a lot of experience with strategy and strategic plans. Um, do you have any additional impact, input to add to Jerry and Bob's, uh, to Jerry and John's comments about uh, strategic plans? You know, it, it, it's so funny listening to Jerry and John. Uh, you know, I, I know both of them well, you know, we really go back and as they're both talking, I'm, I'm sitting there kind of nodding my head um, because it's just so much redundancy in terms of what I would say. Uh, a few things of note, um, you know, just like you shouldn't go shopping when you're hungry, you know, go up and down the supermarket aisles when you're starving or, um, you know, they say that your shopping carriage should look the same, whether you're hungry or whether you're full. And I think strategic planning is, is similar, right? Um, when you go into strategic planning, you really have to separate that this is not our 12 month operational plan. So right. whatever we come up with really has to stand of 
you know, the test of time. And I think Jerry mentioned, you know, doing some scenario modeling, right? Um, so if the regulatory climate's really strong, or if the labor market's really weak, you know, how do we come up with a plan that can stand the test of time? And how do we use that strategic plan um, as, our, as our compass to help us decide what to do when there are these black swan events? And I'll share with, I was with AECOM, they, they acquired ENSER in, in 2005. And, and they all uh, really got so excited about this employee engagement topic that I was leading with the operating company, they acquired ENSER. And they asked if I would work with 28 global operating companies on, on, on putting in a foundation of engagement. And, and they were so smitten with engagement because back in 2005, six, seven, we couldn't find people, right? Talent was so rare. So they recruited me up to the parent. I became chief HR officer. Then along comes 2008, 2009, right? So all the talk and focus on employees kind of disappeared. And they almost turned it in what was a strategic plan into an operating plan. And, and I used to argue with the leadership team of AECOM. And I would say, hey, our, our people focus should not be an on-off switch. You know, I understand that, you know, we're heading into sort of a vulnerable window, right? You know, we don't have enough clients, we have too many people. But, but the values, our fundamental belief in, in talent, in people shouldn't go away, you know? It's like a dimmer switch. And I think, you know, that's what John and Jerry were saying. There were times to revisit it, you know, but you're tweaking it, right, based on the next 12 months. And if you're, if you're kind of overhauling your strategic plan, then you had the wrong strategic plan to begin with. And I think during the tough times, is when you really can ground truth your strategic plan. Can it stand the test of time like the times we're in right now? Yeah. Yeah, Great. that's super Great. valuable. Great. So um, recognizing that our audience of more than 60 people today are all leaders of geoprofessional businesses, large and small from across North America. John, what are a couple of things that leaders should be doing differently now, uh, both to cope with the current situation and then to plan to thrive past the pandemic. Yeah, okay. Um, well, I, a, a couple of things that come to mind to me, and I, and I do, I would echo that in all of the clients that I'm talking to in the work we're doing right now, I do think that most firms have invested a fair amount of time and effort, maybe more than, certainly more than I might have predicted in communicating uh, with, with people. There's that instinct to sort of make sure everybody's kind of got what they need and they're, and they're, um, they're all set. It's been really good. I still think we're going to underestimate how much time and effort needs to go into that. And we may be looking two, three months down the road, looking backwards and saying, what the heck happened, right? What happened to utilization and profitability and quality and overruns and all that? Because, and I, it would take more time to unpack it, but I think we just have to keep remembering that being productive, especially if you're working from home and you haven't done that a lot in your career, as a lot of new people are kind of experiencing that, it's a lot more than having a laptop and a Zoom connection. Uh, those of us who have been working in home office environments for a long time know that it, it takes a while to figure out exactly how to do this and be productive. So I think really staying engaged with people. Um, 
the way I say this is if you're a leader in the firm, your personal utilization should be going down. A lot of people have an instinct. A lot of us as principal level people in organizations have an instinct to work on stuff that we can do with our own hands, to dig our own holes. Today, you need to be doing less of that and working more through other people. And that can be frustrating if you're starting to want to get stuff done. You hear all the time people saying, well, I can't do my job because I'm on six or eight or 10 calls a day. Six or eight or 10 calls a day is your job if you're a leader. Because without you, those other people are sitting at home now without anything around them uh, stewing in their juices, you know, fumbling around. So just be careful about that. I think I said earlier, more more relational communication, not transactional, more just checking in with people. How are you doing? Uh, rather than where's my project? Um, tap people on the shoulder. <laughs> it's time to ask other people to step up and do things. It's time for some battlefield promotions if we're really in a war. So instead of being the principal sort of in charge of the world and taking all this on your shoulders to have to make everything happen, get some other people in the, in the company to help you. Uh, even the ones you think that aren't ready. And the last thing I would say is it's a good time for training. You know, we, again, one of these instincts is says, let's put that to the side. We can't go to meetings. Uh, you know, I can't send somebody off to, to, to a, a two day seminar, that kind of stuff. But it's a really good time to use this sort of platform to invest in people. For one thing, we all need to be focusing on some things that don't have to do with, you know, with getting the work done and, and watching the world fall apart all around us. So good, th good time for leadership training. Joel? Yeah, absolutely. And it's a great time for professional development. Hey, Joel, and, and if, I just, if I can just interrupt you one real quick moment there. A lot of people in associations and people that run conferences are doing what you're talking about. You know, they've had to figure out on the fly, what does it look like to turn this into a virtual event? It's not a foregone conclusion that that's going to work. So I think as attendees, what we need to do is collaborate with the people that are off, make this work, you know? And so I think we all have a responsibility to jump in and figure this out and see what you know, what works and what doesn't, because this could be a big fulcrum point for our society as a whole. How do we gather together as huge groups virtually? Yeah. So I think, John, you also touched on a few points that are, gonna, that are very near and dear to Bob. Um, Bob, so what are a couple of things leaders should be doing differently now and in the future? Yeah, let me um, make a comparison um, uh, as, I, as I begin to answer that. You know, if you think of 2008, 2009, um, there was a lot of anger, right? You know, that was a recessionary window in which employees were, were mad, you know, mm. um, you know, greed, right? You know, corporate greed kind of took us down this sinkhole of a recessionary funk, you know, that we all got caught up in. If you think of where we are today, this is such a different, uh, and to me, because I study the human dynamic aspect of, you know, the workforce, this is a fascinating difference right now. You know, people, like, this isn't angry. People, uh, people are sad. People are worried. Uh, people are incredibly empathetic. People are concerned. Um, mm -hmm. And it's, a, it, it's such a different... Um, 
um, window of, of um, employee emotions and, and leadership emotions. And the counsel that I've been giving leaders right now is your employees are looking for empathy. They, they really are. They're looking for the organization to be kind. They're looking for the organization to demonstrate that they care about the well-being of people. Um, so, you know, I had a conversation with someone inside this industry just two weeks ago. And although they were a healthy business, they were four pay cycles away from having no cash. So the usual default, right, in this industry is, well, let's lay off a percent of the workforce, right? But this, this smart organization said, wait a minute, you know, in our strategic plan, you know, talent is, is, is the cornerstone of everything we do. Like five weeks ago, we couldn't find people. And now right. we're going to whack 10% of the workforce. So they, so they made a decision to reduce the pay of, of everyone in the business, 20%. In exchange for that, they went on a four-day work week. And this was a wildly popular a decision because it, it kind of validated that we are in this together. Uh, we care about each other. Uh, no one did anything wrong, right? You know, that's the definition of a black swan event. You know, we didn't know this was coming. You know, this isn't a blame game. And, you know, once again, if you can, if you can demonstrate empathy, it is the number one way leaders can demonstrate organizational wide trust. So I've been telling, you know, leaders that are clients, what a what a gift you've been given and the gift is you can demonstrate to your entire workforce that you are a trusted leader who dares who cares deeply about your employees and by the way the evidence is overwhelming organizations that demonstrate empathy during these times recover quicker mm -hmm. and recover higher in terms of what the upside is. So I, I, I strongly caution if there was ever a time to demonstrate that you care as a leader, it's right now. Wow, wow. that's powerful. So a lot of people taking notes. Uh, Jerry, same question for you. Is there anything else that leaders should be doing differently now uh, in response to this event? Um, it's terrible to go third with two smart guys on your panel. <laughs> and, uh, and they've taken a lot of what I might say, but I'll add just a few things. I had empathy on there, Bob. So I'm well, I'm, I'm well trained. You've trained me well. Uh, empathy is huge right now. Along with that, along with that, I, I would like to add that this is the time that you've got to show your optimistic face your confidence face, uh, your, that you're calm and collected. They're also re looking for leaders that are grounded, that, that they have the confidence that, you know, that your leaders are going off the deep end because of what's going on out there. So with that, you've got to have this really, you got to drum up all the confidence you have. And even with all the things that you're facing and, and keeping you up at night, uh, you've got to put on that confidence and um, that calm effect in, in everything you do, especially through all of your communications, whether it be one-on-one -on -one or to the entire firm or anything in between. Um, another thing is, uh, this is a time to, uh, you know, they say never let a good crisis go to waste. It makes sure you've got, you know, 
your your uh, organization running as well as it can given the situation. Um, you talked about the the pay cuts and the uh, the salary cuts and the empathy part. The other part is there are companies that are doing layoffs. They have no choice. The numbers are too large. And all I could do there is suggest that when you do that, you have to look deeper than you really think you need uh, because there's nothing worse than, you know, laying off three people this week and four people next week and five people the next week. Get it over with, get on with life and move it along. And when you do this, I would say a lot of firms don't really evaluate the, the spectrum. You have to look at an individual. There's this tendency to go and cut out junior staff people. You got to look at your, at your whole organization, look vertically and horizontally, and you got to look at what have they done for you in the last few years? What are they doing for you in this crisis? And what can they do for you in the future? And it's that last piece that's pretty important because you could have some very star performers that may not have the tenure or the grade or whatever, and the tendency will be to release them from your organization. And that could be the worst thing you could do. In fact, uh, we found through you know, studies and the work that I've done that, uh, that the companies that really evaluate that future potential are far better off when you come out of an economic downturn. And then lastly, I would say, I would start sitting here today, uh, nearly April, nearly gone, and all the news that you're hearing about restarting the economy, I would begin to rapidly shift my emphasis to a offensive attack in where you're going and what you're gonna do coming out of this. And, and that means how you're gonna put your business back together as far as working within offices, you know, how you, are you gonna continue with a remote working environment? And so I would, besides what John had said about, um, you know, engage with a lot of uh, you should be on the phone, you know, nine hours a day and, and be engaged verbally and, and talking with a lot of people. I think you also have to start to shift your thinking, doing a lot of thinking. How are you going to come out of this? How, what are the new opportunities? Do I need to get teams together to work on looking at new opportunities with clients and new services? What, how are we going to get people back on job sites? How are we going to ensure safety? All of those things. So I would Right now is a pivot point in my mind where you ought to be thinking, shifting from, okay, I've got the defense working. My organization is running as well as it can for now. Let's shift to offense because I think the economy is going to come back. How fast, what the, what the curve looks like, we don't know, but it is coming back. Um, if I can just add one thing, Joel, you know, that uh, was triggered by something that Jerry just said. Um, I, I totally get that at times, you know, if, if this is an organizational survival issue, you know, um, you have to keep the patient alive, right? However, if, if you're sitting there making decisions based on, you know, the share price um, or, you know, how to, how to keep a profit line for this year, those are the wrong decisions. Um, and I think those decisions will come back to haunt you because uh, your employees are watching you, your, your clients are watching you. I mean, all of your clients also happen to be employees, right? And again, go back to this window we're in where everyone 
is kind of, you know, thanking our first respondents. You know, we've never shown more love to the grocery clerk, right? You know, um, don't, don't look at a downsizing as a way to uh, get back on plan. I think that's a mistake. As Jerry said, if it's, if it's an organizational survival thing, we all get it, right? We all get it. Right. And if I could add, Joel, to, the, to that, um, uh, not a client of mine, but I heard a firm that's their plan is built around preserving bonuses for the shareholders. It's a privately held firm, and they're making some decisions based on that. Uh, hopefully nobody on this call is doing that. That's just, that's an example of the wrong, uh, the wrong motive. And you, you really got to look at who is your core, who do you need getting out of this? You got to preserve this. When I said never let a good crisis go to waste, every firm has some performers that weren't really pulling the water and everybody around it knows. And Bob, if you cut salary, everybody's salaries and those people are still around, People look around and they say that's a failure in leadership. So at least get your house in order minimally. And then if you have to do those other things uh, for survival, you'll go there. But uh, this is this is this is the time. I, I think this is the time to get prepared to, to relaunch, frankly. I think we're beyond the crisis of week to week. And I understand there are firms out there still fighting the battle, but uh, there is some light at the end of the tunnel. Wow, there's so many points from that last question. Um, communicate, communicate one-on-one. -on -one. Empathy, leaders need to have confidence through this. You need to make the right decisions for the long term. But if there's any time that you need to show empathy and make decisions based on your people, uh, this is the time. And when, when Jerry gave that example of a firm trying to preserve their bonuses for their shareholders, almost everybody on the call was shaking their head no. So uh, I think GBA members get that. And uh, that, was a, that was a great point. So we've touched on this topic a couple of times in previous answers, and we have the great fortune of having a best-selling author on the topic of employee engagement with us today. So Bob, you held a wildly successful webinar on this topic on Wednesday, uh, where you said that even before COVID-19, Gallup claimed that only 35% of the workforce was engaged. What will employee engagement look like post-COVID-19? Mm. Yeah, you know, I'm back to, you know, saying what a gift our leaders have been given um, in some ways, because by all accounts, all survey measures, uh, workforce engagement has not really gone up much even since the great uh, recession of 2008, 9, 10. Um, so as we you know, all kind of return to some sense of normalcy, right? What will the new workplace look like? You know, I believe um, we're gonna see a workforce that is going to kind of wake up. I think it's gonna be a workforce that is going to expect that this empathetic leader is not going to just go away as things improve. Uh, and I think, yeah. you, know, this, you know, this new holistic way of looking at the worker who's not just a person who comes to work, but a person who is an employee who's dealing with loved ones who might be ill or at the very least worried about loved ones who might be ill. And, you know, the last book I wrote was called I Engage, a personal engagement uh, roadmap. And what we learned in the research was the mistake we make within employee engagement. And it's a mistake that I made in a, in a 30 year career is we, we, we made the focus on the employee 
And what we learned in our research, a lot of engagement happens after work. So if I'm going through a divorce, if I have, you know, a loved one who's ill, if I'm uh, balancing, you know, drop off and pickup of, you know, young children, those things are impacting my life at work. And I think, I think we have a wonderful opportunity to kind of return uh, and, and, and have this kind of world of empathy that we all find ourselves in right now and, and have it stay the course, have us be more caring. And I think if we demonstrate that, if we can sustain that when things, you know, return to normal, but that, but that empathetic leader, which is really topical to say we're all empathetic right now, but how do we, you know, how do we freeze some of these feelings we have now? And how do we, how do we demonstrate that we care deeply about our employees when, you know, when things get back to normal? And I think if we do that, I think, I think that in and of itself, we're gonna start seeing a return to some promising workforce engagement statistics like we've never seen before. So, you know, this is one of those things, you know, you know, and I hate to get political, but this is one of those few things where I actually tend to agree with our president. I think we have the opportunity to come out of this bigger and better than ever before. And I think the employee populations are going to lead it, but I think it'll only be led if they see that the, the, the kindness, the empathetic leader that they're seeing today is sustained. Wow. Yeah. John or Jerry, do you have anything that you can add to Bob's thoughtful response about employee engagement? Go ahead, Jerry. I don't know. He wrote the book, so it's tough. I will <laughs> say that, again, going reflecting back to the ENR study that Rod Hoffman and I did, that we found that companies that got to their core team, it was like a herd mentality, protected and surrounded that core, that core group, continued, as John said, with the leadership training and development, all those training aspects, and invested in them and took care of them, you know, had that empathetic approach to, you know, using time off and, and so on and, and exhausting funds and then helping them out beyond that uh, through the crisis. They ended up being more engaged and more fired up and those companies took off. And that is, you know, one of the handful of reasons why those companies were more successful coming out of the recession. Yeah. So to Bob's point, it just underscores what Bob says that it underscores uh, the last few questions that you talked about, uh, that you've asked us about, and that's that you really got to stay the course and take care of your people and communicate, and you will you will get loyalty coming out the back end, a great deal of loyalty. John? Yeah, what I would add to this is, um, well, those of you who were at the conference in Louisville may remember that I made this statement at Louisville that um, I believe that one of the fundamental problems that we have in the industry is that we spend too much time and effort focusing on clients. And I, I say it that way to get a rise out of the crowd because that's deeply in the instinct and, and sort of mission of just about everybody on the call and everybody in the industry. Taking care of clients is kind of why we're here and it's what we like to do and it's where the passion is. But I think many firms have long had a balance problem. You know, 80, 90% of the passion, the energy, and the effort is going to take care of those clients, often at the expense of the staff. Uh, not strategically, it just sort of ends up being that way, right? And I've long thought that uh, 
Ritz-Carlton, whose motto is, Ritz-Carlton's motto is, ladies and gentlemen, serving ladies and gentlemen. And that's always been, for me, the, the sort of perfect way of espousing this idea that the way to take care of clients best is through the employees, not at the expense of the employees. And now we're kind of at this moment where we're sort of having to focus on almost arbitrarily on, on the staff. That's the thing that's obvious to take care of. I couldn't agree more with Bob that it, the fundamental, the biggest mistake, could you dream up a bigger mistake than going back to the old way as soon as you can? There's such a moment, uh, the crisis that we don't want to waste to rethink how we do it. It's not ever about giving up on the fundamental importance of clients. It's just about how we do it. Uh, I think that, so, and the other thing I would add, Joel, is that I hear this all the time, all the time. You remember my, my presentation was Stop Eating Your Leaders. A big part of that is what did the young, more junior people in the firm say all the time, everywhere? When am I going to get my chance? How come they're not involving me? How do I do this? The appetite is there, you know? And so you want to get, the, they're asking to be engaged. <laughs> yeah. And we're eating them up and devouring them when we miss that opportunity and don't say, here's how you're going to do that. That's really great points. And, um, and I see that we're getting some, some good chat going here, a lot of agreement with the points that you all are making. Um, and your point, your last point, John, and, and some questions I'm seeing are a great uh, lead to the, my next question. I had a really interesting conversation with one of the uh, GBA leaders who happens to be on the call today. And we were talking about the recent shift from individual employee offices to large work, open workspaces and, mm -hmm. and how office layout may change as people are looking for some social distancing uh, out outside and also in the workspace. Um, Jerry, what do you believe it will be some of the most significant workplace changes that we'll see post COVID-19? Offices? What offices? <laughs> we won't need offices. I think that's the big shift is I think uh, in many industries, not only this industry, I think we've America's proving to itself that you can work remotely and be halfway effective. And I think we're only going to get better at that. I think that collaboration tools will take a big tick up. I think uh, companies now that, you know, were concerned about blowing project budgets, they put into place uh, uh, systems and tools and, and quality assurance reviews uh, from a remote working environment. So I think, uh, the big change is going to be um, in the, uh, the amount of your workforce that can now work remotely, which then means that do you need the size office buildings uh, that you need? Uh, I was on this morning on a call, a gentleman with CR, uh, CBRE, uh, and he, uh, he was talking about the fact that, you know, their, their new office buildings are, one-fourth the size. They took two floors of a building in San Diego and it's now one-fourth of one floor. Uh, not one, there's only, uh, I think he said three offices in the, in on the floor and they're all huddled rooms. They're not, uh, and this is, uh, and, and with COVID in mind, you got to keep social distancing, obviously, 
but they're basically condominium spaces because so many people are working remotely and they're proving they can do that. In fact, they feel that through this, they may have too much space on their hands. So I think you're gonna see a big shift in the real estate that one needs. Sure, those GBA members that do uh, materials testing and have laboratories, you're still gonna need laboratory space. But I think there's gonna be a whole new work environment, a whole new shift in collaboration tools and technology. I think you're gonna see a lot more Zoom calls for team meetings and collaboration meetings to execute projects and with clients. You're going to see interviews with clients. That's already happening, interviews with clients where they're through an RFP process and it's all done through WebEx. And you're just going to see a, a reduction in real estate. There's a, another article in the Wall Street Journal that, you know, the hardest, the predicted hardest hit over the next few years is the office and retail um, commercial realty business because, because of this. People are going to need less space and there's going to be a whole repositioning in that uh, in that in that space which is an opportunity for GBA members by the way yes it is I expect a lot of our member firms are reviewing their office leases now in in response to the changes that will happen John what do you believe are going to be the most significant workplace changes uh, coming out of this event well I wrote a little bit about this in my book, Fast Future, uh, a few years ago. I, I see this as one, this, this notion, one of, the, one of the most powerful legacy constructs in this business is the idea of having to be local, having to be right close to the customer and having to be kind of right close to all the other people on my team. That's just so fundamental and so ingrained. And it's why we can't work with the office in San Francisco and guys in you know, in Chicago, don't know how to do it the way we do it and all of that kind of stuff. And I sort of wrote in my book that the hardest, I said, the hardest part about globalization is the first three feet. That's the distance between me and you, you know? And I think as Jerry is suggesting, we're gonna learn through this process that we can break down that barrier, we had to. And now the world gets really, really small, really small, really, really quickly. And this whole notion of, do I really need to go to the meeting? Do I really need to be next to the, the people on the production group or, and all of those things are going to be, um, are going to be really questioned. I think not just in our business and our companies, but in our whole society in really profound ways. The other thing I would add to this is that young people want this and have wanted it for a long time. And it's all of us old farts that had to control the damn business that had been preventing this. I was just working with a client, you know, the, the, the two weeks right before we, start, we started stop traveling, and I interviewed lots and lots and lots of people in this firm, and the most common thing I heard was, we need more flexible work rules. We need more kind of to recognize that young people have, you know, children issues and paternity leave and all these kind of things, this huge pent-up demand. So do you think we could stuff this cat back in the bag now that we're, we're not only asking but demanding this whole this whole team and all these young people to do that. So I, I just think, Jerry, you're, you're dead on. It's just, it's just, but the, here's the real opportunity. And it, when it occurred to me, it's like, okay, so, so maybe because the business is very collaborative. So there is a lot of value in getting together face to face. So that won't go away. Right. But what if you only work two days a week uh, in the office and three days at home or vice versa? Right. What if you work four hours a day, 
Now you could share an office with somebody who's working the other four hours and you could both commute off, off schedule, right? Um, and, 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 and yeah, we need half the office space to do that. That's, a, that's an extraordinary economic opportunity, unless you're in the real estate business. Uh, for us to think about how we could get 20 or 30% more headcount into the space that we have, to me, I think that's really, really exciting. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just yesterday, if I could add it, just yesterday, it just reminded me of an example. Uh, a CEO was just about, was supposed to sign a lease in Riverside, California to house about 12 people, and it was purely a commute office. That's the only reason they were establishing it. He didn't sign the lease. They're not going to do it. They're working fine remotely. They're going to come into the office every, every other week. They're going to drive an extra 30 miles just to have a presence for a meeting. Done. Eliminated that lease. Yeah. Before, before long, some of our grandchildren will be saying things like, Grandpa, did you really get on an airplane and fly to California to talk to those people? Right. <laughs> right. right. And, and those of you that are worried about utilization with these new working areas, I was talking to another GBA leader yesterday who happens to be on the call, uh, who's been working from home for five weeks, and the staff has been, they did an evaluation of their utilization. The average of the last four weeks was one of the highest utilization rates that they've had as a company for the past several years. Hmm. So people are figuring out this. Right. Bob, do you have, Bob, do you have anything else to add on, uh, on the changes that we're gonna see out of the workplace in the future? Yeah, let, let me just share a, uh, um, a pilot study that we did during my ENSA years before AECOM came in. You know, we started having the early days of the millennials pushing us for telecommuting. And, you know, I'm a baby boomer, so, you know, my first, a default as the HR head was, no, um, you know, that means you're stealing. We don't trust you, right? Uh, and we did a pilot. Uh, we had 3,000 employees and we had 25% of our locations um, participate in a very generous telecommuting work at home policy. And we studied billability, we studied write-offs, we studied, uh, studied uh, bookings, and the 25% far exceeded the 75% in more traditional uh, hours in space. So I became a believer really in, you know, 2003, 2004, that, you know, this was, this was a wave of the future. And now I work with companies in all industries. You know, I work with technology firms, software firms, other professional service firms. And the a and &E industry is still way behind. And, um, really leveraging, you know, this benefit, because this truly is a benefit. And I think, I think when employees kind of return to work, there are going to be expectations, you know, we've given them this freedom now. And, yeah. you, know, you know, I don't see it just as, you know, the expectations people just want, you know, the flexibility to work at home. You know, traffic, you know, I live in Boston, traffic is brutal. And, you know, I was with someone, uh, you know, right before the pandemic, and I drove into Boston, you know, with a client who's a land development client, and she, she drives to and from one hour and 45 minutes each way. And I had a conversation with her the other day, and she said, I am so much more productive. I am so much happier. Why was I doing that traffic? Mm -hmm. And I joked with her. I said, well, it was probably incremental, right? You know, it's like the frog that's put in the pot of water. And, you know, all the time, the frog doesn't know it's, it's, it's being cooked. But if you throw that same frog in to boiling water, it pops out. 
I think our employees, when they return, if, if we try to manage them like we did pre-pandemic, I think they're going to jump out of a boiling water. I think mm -hmm. they've seen a level of flexibility that plays into who they are. But I also think we need to, you know, provide some community uh, for them to get together as well, right? You know, I've joked with my wife, the social distancing I need is between me and my refrigerator, right? You know, uh, I'm going to gain a lot of weight if I work at home every single day. You know, I can do it a couple of days a week, but I need to go someplace, right? That's, that's who I am. And I think that's many of us. But how do you, just as John said, how do you balance it with, you know, maybe, you know, come in Tuesdays and Thursdays, you know, will be the core days and, and kind of leverage this newfound flexibility. The only other thing I would add, um, and it's somewhat of a contradiction, you know, all this, you know, kind of hoteling of space that this could lead to and, you know, you know this open uh, space concept you know, I think we're going to see a return that people don't want to be sharing space with others. So, you know, the contradiction is, you know, maybe I don't need my own office five days a week, but I'm not sure I want Mary sharing my office because I'm not worried about germs more than I ever have be before. So we're going to have this kind of safety component, at least in the short term, as we try to figure out office space. And I think our clients will also share those safety concerns as we're working in their office spaces or on in their on their projects. Mm. Um, if you could just bullet a few opportunities uh, that you see for GBA member firms, uh, services that we could be providing or um, new service offerings to our clients. Um, Jerry, do you have just a, a bullet list of two or three things that our members should be looking for for providing services to their clients during this, during and post this pandemic? Sure, Joel. Well, you know, I've, I've said, you know, for a number of years now, this, these, these are the greatest times in this profession. Again, as I said earlier, you look at all the things out there, climate change, uh, the need for water, the changes in oil and gas and alternatives and infrastructure and on and on and on. And those are going to stay in place. And now I think it's, I think the opportunities could be greater. I think that there's going to be more opportunity. And so you need to step back. And rather than going into details about this service or that service, I might just suggest to the group, look at the trends that are going on now to add to these others I mentioned, you know, all the macro trends that are out there. And, and, and look at what is happening, what's going to be maybe hot, and then how can you play into that with a service offering or helping expanding or helping your clients out. Things like logistics. The logistics business is gonna be big. Communications will probably be big. Uh, real estate repositioning will be big. And so just think, of, just think of those things. That's my bulleted list. Think of those and, and think, okay, so what do we do in that business? And how can we possibly either have a new service offering or bolster our current service offerings uh, within that space. So I, I would run to the, in the short term, if I was developing a plan for the next year or so, year or two, I would look at what is going to be growth opportunities because their world is going to change. And uh, healthcare is another one. Healthcare is going to be strong. And so just look at all those trends that are occurring out of this and use that as a platform to start doing some deep diving for services. Great, 
John, do you have any other opportunities identified? You talk to hundreds of people each week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to answer it. Even, I think what Jerry said is magnificent, um, I, but I'd answer it a slightly different way. Um, I'm, I'm going to run a session next week called um, What to Say to Clients When You Don't Know What to Say to Clients. Uh, and I think one of the big opportunities right now, not sort of market or segment specific, is reach out to clients and have discussions. And don't try to sell anything. Just tap into people, have conversations, and get back to collaborating and exploring together. And this only works with the clients that you're real trusted advisors of, right? But you kind of explore with them, what do we see together? Make the projects happen together. Because uh, if you've got the right sort of clients and the right kinds of relationships and the right kinds of discussions, they're going to say, we're going to need this. I think this is going to change. I don't think we'll be doing that thing anymore, right? So I think that's a, a general way. And I think it's super important right now because if everybody freezes and nobody talks to any of their customers and you get in there, you're a magician, right? You're there and nobody else is there. It's not like the, the pre-bid meeting with 40 people in the room. So that's one thing I would suggest is a generalized opportunity is reach out and help create a new world with those customers right now. Great. I, I feel like we could talk to these three thought leaders, industry leaders for hours and hours and learn from, from them the whole time. Uh, but we are limited on time. And before I open up to questions from the audience, um, I'd like to just end with one additional formal question uh, and one that I think is uh, can give us a message of hope and so I'm going to ask each panelist to fill in the blank for this question the big silver lining in all of this is what so Bob I'll start with you the big silver lining in all of this is what I think it's perspective you know I uh you know, probably similar to John and Jerry, you know, I'm with a little tiny business, right? And if you're a small business, all those things you hear about small businesses, you know, having a disruption in the business model, you know, my business has come to a complete stop. We're in the workshop business, we're in the survey business, we're in the keynote business, uh, conference business, right? It, it's come to a complete stop. But as I, as I sit here and look at where I spend my time though. I spend my time worrying about my family, not the business. I spend my time worrying about um, my grandkids. I spend my time worrying about, um, you know, my full-time employees. So how can I somehow keep them fed? I'm not spending my time. How do I, you know, commercialize? How do I sell? How do I, so I think, I think the perspective that we all have, uh, is what we can bring back to work, right? You know, um, I've spoken more to my neighbors in the past month than I have in the past five years. Um, so, you know, it's being kinder people and, and being more caring to each other and seeing what's important and having, and having a greater appreciation for people that used to be the non-essentials, right? You know, the person, you know, who works, um, uh, in your copy center that you outsource because you can maximize the profit by not employing copy center people, right? 
well, you know, all these people that were non-essential, the grocery clerk employees, the delivery people, the Uber drivers, you know, just a new appreciation of the term non-essential, because I think we're seeing is, you know, these people are essential too. So I think, you know, I just think perspective is going to be so different when we all return to normal days. That's mm, profound. John, how would you fill in the blank? The big silver lining in all of this is what? Uh, I think that I think the watchword is change, as as the opportunity. Uh, I'm just sitting here jotting notes down to one thing. Being, you know, sharing the platform with, with Jerry and Bob sort of reminds me of something that I told all of my kids when they were young, is in life, you always want to strive to be the worst player on the A team rather than the star of the B team. It's a little bit humbling uh, to try to add some value with, uh, with all the great stuff that's being, that's being shared. But I, I do think the big opportunity has changed. And the other thing I often said to my kids is, if you think, and I want everybody to think about this, if you really believe in your heart of hearts, that you're in the top half of the group, that you're one of the good ones, then you want the world to be hard, not easy. You want the world to be hard. You want it to be uncertain. You want it to be changing because you're going to be able to see the opportunities better than the other guy. And I think that's where we are right now. There's lots of uncertainty, but it's, up, it's upsetting the status quo and the, and the apple carts, right? And that's good for all of us who aren't in the number one position. There's more opportunity than there otherwise would have been. So I would say, you know, effective leaders think and act differently. So what I would suggest is size up the situation, figure out what everybody else around you is doing, and then do something different. You know, follow, awesome. follow your own heart, follow your path, make your own way. I think it's as, and I share Jerry's optimism that I, both in the kind of a global sense that there's an incredible amount of opportunity, but also right here in this moment, right? If, you, if those of us who have the courage to jump out and go for something right now, uh, have some big opportunities. Okay, Jerry, last word. How would you fill in the blank? The big silver lining in all of this is what? Well, mine's so scarily similar to John's. Uh, <laughs> I think I, it's, it's really that breaking the paradigm and the real opportunity to innovate, which comes along with change. I mean, I think there's just a great opportunity to even position your firm differently, whether it's in the business and how you do the work or how you run the business or how you position yourself with your clients. I think, I think there's a real innovation opportunity here. And, and I think we blow it as an industry if we don't take advantage of it. Joe, can I add one, one other thing here? There's something I've been sharing with everybody I talk to. My wife said it, so I'll give her the credit for it. But I think it's really, really important, and it's really important for me to keep hearing it. What she said was, number one, we're not okay. We're not okay right now, most of us, right? Number two, it's okay to be not okay. Right. Number three, it's just not okay to stay that way. I think that's worth saying uh, because we have in our culture kind of an instinct to always show our good side and how, you know, this isn't affecting me and I'm, I'm, I'm just fine. Uh, so it's just worth thinking about that, right? And I think it, particularly as you think about the rest of the people in your firm, not everybody's okay right now. And they need some leadership and they need some, some care and support, but that's what we're here for. 
John, John, you get to know each other uh, better too. You know, you talked about, you talked to your neighbors. I think you were the one that said that, or Bob said that. Uh, I told my wife the other night, I've been home longer than any stretch ever since 1981. <laughs> so we've gotten to know each other better. <laughs> I, think that, I think the most of us could say the same thing that we uh, don't have, have not flown on an airplane longer than we have in the past maybe 10, 20 years. You know, someone said the world has been sent to a collective timeout. <laughs> and what are we and what are we going to learn from it? Wow. Right. Amen to that. So um, thank you very much, the three of you. Um, I'd like to take the opportunity to thank you, John, and you, Jerry, and you, Bob. Uh, all these guys did this uh, volunteer out of the goodness of their hearts. Um, we're fortunate to call them good friends of GBA, and I'm blessed to call them my personal friends. Uh, and this is what GBA does. We collaborate on common issues. This is a common issue that we all share. Thank you all for joining today and look forward to seeing you in this format again very soon. If you enjoyed this episode, please visit geoprofessional.org for more information and member resources.